All right, so we've been talking about a war on legalism that Paul has been uh, that Paul has declared, and tonight's Bible study is going to uh, be through the first ten verses of Galatians chapter two, and the title of this study is going to be called "Put Away the Knife." Put away the knife, and there may be some things said that are strange. This right here is a knife. This is not a girly knife. It's a very manly knife that I made when I was a kid. Uh, I, I bought the antler bones here, and I and I bought and uh, my stepdad gave me this piece of steel. Uh, he said it was like tempered steel forged from the lava of Mordor or something, and uh, he said it was it was awesome. He said it was really great steel, and he taught me how to how to grind it down, how to make. And I was like, yeah, I designed on paper what I wanted it to look like, and. And so this is my knife that I made, and it weighs about 35 pounds. And uh, um, I, I, I think it's probably very similar to the knives that they used back in the day uh, for many of their medical procedures and such. So I'm going to just set this right here for, uh, for our viewing enjoyment. And as we're doing our study, you can refer to the knife. And uh, yes, so... Legalism is, is the subject that we've been looking at. And I just want to give some descriptions of legalism for you. Legalism is brutal. Legalism is violent. Legalism is bondage. Chains and knives and blinders. These are the, are the tools of the legalistic man. Bondage and blood and blindness are the result of a life devoted to legalism. doesn't sound very pretty, does it? sounds like the opposite of what we should be going after. And I want to look at what the law is that the legalists are so devoted to. Okay? Now we know, and we've studied before, that the law is good. The law is perfect. And Jesus summed up all the law, all this good and perfect law, into two commandments, which were love your God and love your neighbor. Two pretty simple commandments. Jesus summed them all up. And then, further than that, at the end of Matthew chapter 5, he summed it up into two words. Be perfect. That's the message of the law. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a perfect message. He says, be perfect. But, in contrast to these two commands of Christ and the two words of that, I want you to see what legalism does. Legalism doesn't try to simplify. Legalism tries to complicate. And let me show you how. In contrast to these two commands, the Pharisees, who had developed a system of 613 laws, 365 negative commands and 248 positive commands. In other words, you shall not do this And you have to do that. You shall not do this, and you have to. And by the time Jesus came, it had produced a heartless, cold, and arrogant brand of righteousness. And as such, it contained at least, at least, ten tragic flaws. So when you're looking at how their devotion to this system was flawed, look at it, look at at least these ten. Number one, New laws had to continually be invented for new situations. 
Instead of simplifying it, they had to always be making it more complex. Sounds like a government agency, I know. Number two, accountability to God is replaced by accountability to men. Number three, it reduces a person's ability to personally discern. Discernment goes out the window because it no longer is what you think is right or what your conscience is telling you. It's what is this other person telling me is right. Number four, it creates a judgmental spirit. Number five, the Pharisees confused personal preferences with God's law. They thought it was their opinions were just as important as what God specifically had said. Number six, it produced inconsistencies. Number seven, it created a false standard of righteousness. Number eight, it became a burden to the Jews. Number nine, it was strictly external. And the last one is that it was rejected by Jesus. If Jesus rejects your system, you might have a problem. So legalism tries to add a bunch of stuff to the law. It's not content with just the two commands, love God and love others, which is how Jesus summed up the law. It's not content with that. So wait, wait, wait. You have to love God, love others, and keep your haircut real short. (laughs) Or it tries to add something else to it. I know, Troy, you'd be good. You'd be good. (laughs) Stuff, the stuff that it adds, get this, is irrelevant, useless, and does not work. Those are the three descriptions that biblically you would have for the stuff that they add. Irrelevant, useless, and does not work. I'm going to read a quote to you from Charles Spurgeon. I have found in my own life, my own spiritual life, that the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. The habit of regular morning and evening prayer is one which is indispensable to a believer's life. But the prescribing of the length of the prayer and the constrained remembrance of so many persons and subjects may gender us unto bondage and strangle the prayer rather than assist it. Have you guys ever had that? I need need to go make sure I pray. Great! For ten minutes. No! You just ruined it. I need to make sure I pray for half an hour. Praying is great. Putting a rule to it kills it. And I'm not saying that the rule is what's bad. It's the thought that because I kept the rule, I was successful. That's the part that is this legalistic idea that we're trying to get out, get away from. So the idea of legalism is perfectly illustrated in the act of circumcision. So we're going to talk a little bit about circumcision today, and it's probably going to be a little uncomfortable for some men in the room, or anyone. It's kind of weird um, and awkward, but yet it's the very thing that God brings up over and over and over again as a perfect picture for us of legalism. Okay, so as you know, circumcision was cutting off a part of the body. And as you look back at my 
illustration of the knife back here, it may have been uncomfortable because they didn't have surgeons with scalpels back in the day or anesthesia. (laughs) So it was an uncomfortable thing. It was a painful work. It was a bloody work. And it's an external work. It was an outward sign of being separated for God, that you belong to God. Yet, it doesn't do anything for the inward heart of a person. And that is the perfect picture of legalism. Legalism, I said before, is brutal, bloody, chains and bondage. And that's why I said it, is because it's a perfect example for us of what legalism creates. An an outward pain without any inward change, which is not what we want. We want inward life. So, in your Bible, in Galatians chapter 2, we're going to read. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we do not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So Paul, after 14 years, he's, he's been established, he's being used by God, he's pastoring his church, or he's pastoring probably a whole bunch of churches, he's doing all this work for the Lord, and after 14 years, Um, the Spirit reveals to him, or somehow it's revealed to him, that he needs to go and speak to Peter and James. And uh, so he goes up to Jerusalem, and there's this rumor going around from some of the Judea, some people who had visited Paul's church. And this rumor was that Paul was not teaching the gospel the correct way. And the people who were starting this rumor were not true Christians. They were Judaizers. They said, oh, you you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to have this legalistic uh, um, theology behind it. So, he goes up there, and um, notice these guys, these fellows who were planting this rumor. It says they were false brethren secretly. So they didn't have... Uh, you know, they didn't have name, badge, name badges that said false brother on the, <laughs> you know, sometimes, this is, never mind. But, you know, they, they, it wasn't obvious who these people were. And just like it's not obvious sometimes when we ourselves even can be the person who's laying a legalistic trip on someone, it, it sometimes can get a little bit weird. I, I know what you're saying is, seems good, but is it, is it really what I need to be focusing on. So it, it can kind of be tricky sometimes. So um, Paul begins his, uh, this journey to go down and he's going to defend himself to the Jerusalem. And this is going to be known as the Jerusalem Council that's going to happen. And he brings with him uh, a couple buddies. 
on this trip. He brings Barnabas and he brings Titus. So he's going down there. He's, he's defending his gospel of God's grace. And remember, we studied where his gospel came from. Did it come from men? No. It came straight from the Lord. We studied about it, And Paul has already defended in chapter 1 where he got his gospel from. That he saw visions and he got it directly from the Lord. And we learned about for our lives where are we hearing from. Are we, are we listening to men and what men think we should do or say? Or are we listening to, are we spending time in the Word and, and listening to His true Word for our life? Letting the Holy Spirit speak to us. So he's going down there to defend this idea and he brings um, a couple bros with him. And so I've kind of seen he's going with some bros. Go with some bros. If you're going to go somewhere, go with some bros. Girls, don't use that. <laughs> Go with some girls. Uh, anyway, so guys, though, he, he, had a, he had a big test in front of him, so he took along two guys. The first guy he took was Barnabas. And you guys know what Barnabas' name means. It means encouragement. And we see all through the scriptures, Barnabas was always encouraging people. And that's a great guy to take with you. If you're going down and you know it's going to be a battle and you're going to confront someone, it's great to have someone just saying, you're doing a great job, Paul. I bet, I bet Paul, I love having some, my, my son. Sometimes I got a couple of sons specifically who are like, you did great, Dad. And I'm just like, ah, makes me feel so good, even though I bowled like 40. And they're just like, you're awesome. And I love it. It makes you feel so good to be encouraged. So, you know, maybe you're the person that's the Barnabas to someone else who has to go do something difficult. You know, maybe someone has a, has a hard meeting to go to uh, or, or they're trying to reconcile with someone and it's just difficult. And maybe you're the person that's going to be the Barnabas in their life that's just saying, man, you're awesome. You're awesome. And, and God's going to work with you. And, and just, just encouragement. I love Barnabas. But the, 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 the guy that's really important in the story is Titus. Titus. And he, because he is a perfect example of a life changed by grace alone and not by works, which is pictured in circumcision. He's a perfect picture. Titus, my man, he was a Gentile. He was Greek, which means he was not Jewish, which means he looked different and he had, uh, you know, none of the history, the religious history. He was pagan before he became a Christian. So he had none of the, the, the religious upbringing or any of that to, to fall back on. So he would have been particularly effective in combating the heresy of the Judaizers. The Judaizers insisted that Christians were bound by the Mosaic law. And in, in addition to that, all the law that the Pharisees had come up with, those 613 laws that we just talked about, and usually, the Judaizers honed in on circumcision, that Gentiles must be circumcised, they said, in order to truly be saved. And so we're going to look now at Galatians chapter 5. So turn a page over to the right, maybe two pages, if your Bible's got small already. And uh, we're going to look at what Paul thought about this, um, this perspective, okay? And Titus uh, is kind of thrown into this. And it, he, his, his life becomes this example to everyone around him of God's grace. And isn't that cool? That, that his life, even though it was probably a terrible pagan upbringing, becomes just beautifully used by God to even minister to people who had been saved for a long time. 
And I think that's cool because sometimes someone gets saved and within the, the first week or two, they affect many people greatly. Actually, we were listening to the radio just the other day and like Luis Palau was doing this, like those one-minute things. And you, you, you heard it too. And there was, it was about this kid who, who got saved. He was nine years old. And then the next day, he, he got hit by a bus and, and died. And his mother came and told the story to Luis Palau. And Luis told that story, was so affected by it. And the kid had so much joy when he had gotten saved. And it was just really sad. He told it to like 30,000 people at this thing. And, and he said thousands of people got saved because of this one guy's life. So that's just a little side note on, on Titus being uh, used by the Lord. But in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 6, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. How many times have we read that word bondage in these few verses that we've read so far tonight? Several. Already, and that's why when I'm talking about circumcision, I'm talking about legalism, it's bringing bondage. And, and Paul um, contrasted with that word liberty. Verse um, 2, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you have become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So I'm sure this is the exact conversation that Paul had with Titus. Titus was probably like, so, about that whole circumcision thing. Do I have to do that? And Paul was like, bro, no. <laughs> and Barnabas is like, you're fine, dude. <laughs> and they're all, you know, the church is just growing and Titus is like, oh, whew, I was not looking forward to that. And so Paul says, if you get circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again that every man who becomes circumcised, he is a debtor to keep the whole law. The whole law. In other words, what Paul's saying is if you think that doing something like getting circumcised pleases God, then that's the way that you're relating to God, is by your doing things is how you're going to please God. And Paul's saying that is a death trap. That does not work. You have to stop it at the very beginning. We don't do things to please God. We come to Him for what? By what He has done. And then we please God. It's our faith that pleases God, not our actions in that way. And so we come to Him and allow Him to change us. And this is just freedom. And Titus is like, yeah, I can believe it, what Jesus did on the cross, and it frees me from having to do crazy things that are painful, hurt, hurting, bloody, bondage, all these other things that I don't really want to do. And Paul's like, yes, you're free because of what Jesus has done for you. Now get this. Then he says, verse 4, if, if, you, if you want to relate to God based on that, that works thing, and you want to start out with circumcision, and, and that's your deal, you want to work to please God, here's what happens, verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. So a commentator named Boyce, on that phrase, you have fallen from grace, 
He says, this phrase does not mean that if a Christian sins, he falls from grace and thereby loses his salvation. There is a sense in which to sin is to fall into grace, if one is repentant. But to fall from grace, as seen in this context, is to fall into legalism. Or to put it another way, to choose legalism is to relinquish grace as the principle by which one desires to be related to God. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You're either relating to God based on grace, like we've talked about, what he has done, and just trusting that, and trusting that that's going to change you and that's going to make you a godly person, or you relate to him based on how good you're doing that day. And if you want to do it that way, the whole thing is a big avalanche coming down on you. It's not going to work. So, the only harm in trust, the only harm is, in, be, in, in legalism, the only harm is, is that it's trusting something that is completely irrelevant to our life. It's irrelevant. How good you do is irrelevant. So, those who are focused on legalism are putting a knife to parts of their own life that don't need it because it's irrelevant. And that's just mutilation. So turn to Philippians. This is going to blow your mind. This is going to bl- I learned a lot studying for this. So Philippians chapter 3. Check this out, okay? Still on the same topic and on the same example of circumcision being an example of legalism, he says, Finally, my brethren, verse 1 of chapter 3, Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. But beware of dogs. What? Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. <laughs> Sounds creepy when he says it. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and has no confidence in the flesh. What Paul does here is he plays a trick on words. He, he, he does a pun. Okay? He, he has a, he, he's very tricky, and it's awesome because he's totally slamming legalistic people. They called themselves... The circumcision, right? We are the circumcision. And it was a point of pride for them. It was like saying, we are the ones who behave correctly. We have cut off part of our bodies, and now we are accepted to God. But Paul doesn't call him that. What does he say? Verse 2, he says, beware of dogs. What? Okay, we're going to come back to that one in just a second. Beware of evil workers. Well, he can't be more clear than that. I mean, you pretty much know where he's going. And then he says, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision. Even though Paul, who he's talking with here, the we is not Jews. This was Gentiles and Jews mixed together. So he couldn't have been talking about an outward body circumcision. He was talking about something else, which we're going to get to in a second. But what he called them was the mutilation. The mutilation. So this is a pun, and he, 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 instead of calling them circumcision, he calls them katatome in Greek, which is 
the cutting or the mutilation. In other words, uh, it was on par with the pagan practices of just cutting body parts off to please false gods. And that's what Paul was calling these Judaizers. He says, what they're doing is dumb. What they're doing is terrible. What they're doing is just cutting off body parts. That's all they're doing, was Paul's perspective here. And he calls them dogs, which was the exact term of contempt that Jews would use against the Gentiles. And Paul said a lot by using this word against the Jewish-influenced legalists. He said, you guys are the dogs. Like, you think the, the Gentiles are dogs? You guys are the dogs. You guys are the evil workers, and you guys are the ones that are just cutting things. But we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Remember our first study, we said that God is looking for those that, that legalism is, is just um, a substitute for spiritual living. That's my definition of legalism. It's a substitute for spiritual living. And Paul says here, we're the ones that are worshiping God in the spirit. Not by all these actions. Not by cutting things off. Not by trying to hurt ourselves and all this. By the spirit. And have no confidence in the flesh. So, what does Paul really think about these guys? Go back to Galatians real quick. In chapter 5, where we just were, we're going to skip down a few verses to verse 11. And he says, And brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. But I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you are consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, be spiritual people, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What did Paul say in the previous verse we just read? I have no confidence in the flesh. Here he says, we're not going to walk and fulfill the lust of the flesh. The enemy is the flesh. The enemy is the flesh. But the solution to the flesh isn't cutting it off. The solution to the flesh is living by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit. And look what he says here. Because I, I passed over it and maybe you didn't catch it. But in verse 12 he said, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. And in our English language that's really dulled down. But what Paul is really saying, let me just read what David Guzak says. Finally, Paul wishes that those who demanded circumcision among the Gentiles would go all the way themselves and amputate their genitalia altogether, not merely their foreskins. In other words, if cutting makes you righteous, why don't you be like the pagan priests and go all the way and castrate yourselves? Paul is the man. (laughs) Paul is amazing. He just throws it down on them, which is a passing comment. Just like, uh, why don't you guys just cut it all off? Oof. Uncomfortable. But the heart of the matter that we're getting at is that we are the circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the heart is what, what happens in us who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So, 
We're going to go one other place, and that's Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Complete means complete. Nothing else is needed. If anyone wants to add something to your life or says you are missing something, you can simply say, I'm okay, I got Jesus. He is all I need. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So, put away the knife. Guys, put away the knife. We don't have to try to fix ourselves. It's not possible to fix ourselves. But when we come to Christ, He does a spiritual work without hands, praise the Lord, of fixing us. He circumcises the heart. Our death to our flesh is his work that he does with his spirit, not with human hands. Verse 12, he was buried, we are buried with him in, baptize, in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, not the working of a knife, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespass and sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. I just have the word law written there. Wiped it out that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, what do we do with all this? Verse 16. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are all a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. The picture of circumcision is pointing to the work that Jesus would do in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This work is the real thing. The circumcision was just a picture pointing to the real work that Jesus would do. And I love it. Even in the Old Testament, God's priority was circumcision of the heart, spiritual things, not physical. In Jeremiah 4.4, 4, he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and circumcise your hearts, you men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. So back in Galatians, chapter 2, Paul shows up in Jerusalem to this big council. And you just picture, I just picture it, maybe it was like this room right here. And you had, you know, Peter with his beard. And you had maybe some of the other apostles in, in big fancy chairs. I don't know. They're probably like hiding in some room somewhere, but that's what I picture. And, and you had, you know, a whole bunch of people. And, and people who were dressed maybe really nice over here who were saying, you know, we have a problem with Paul. And people over here are like, we think Paul's pretty cool. And, and you had this whole big thing going on. And Paul goes down there. And he shows up with Barnabas and Titus, the Greek guy. And he says, we did not yield submission for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. 
They didn't even yield for an hour. So how did Paul feel about the message of circumcision having to be added to what he was preaching? He didn't even want to listen to them. Not even for an hour. He just wants them to shut up. That's what Paul wants. He says he came down here. It was this big thing. There was going to be this big thing. And Paul's just like, whatever. You guys just don't even talk about it. This is not happening. And I'm actually, look in Titus. Oh, let me just show you in Titus chapter 1. Because Paul writes a letter to Titus, okay? And he says the coolest thing in Titus. He says in Titus chapter 1, verse 10. I love this. He says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Everybody together. <laughs> So he's talking about these same guys. And he says, there's lots of them out there. They're all over the place. Verse 11, what does he say? Whose mouths must be stopped. What's another way to say that? Silence. Shut up. Be quiet. I'm not listening to you. They must be stopped. That is what Paul... His attitude about these guys is, and, and maybe you're like, war against legalism? Isn't that a little harsh for Paul or the book of Galatians? No, it's actually like right on of what's going on here. Paul hates this deception because it's taking away from what Jesus did on the cross. And he's telling these guys, you need to stop talking. You literally don't know what you're talking about. You literally have no idea what you're trying to get people to do or communicate. So, one of the problems with legalism is that, is that it make you, makes you think you can do good works in your own strength. And you're actually able to do every good work, or even some of them, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in your hearts. But if you look again in Titus 1, verse 16, that same paragraph, at the end of this description, Paul says, they profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. And that's because they're motives. When you're legalistic, even the things that you do that you think are good, you're actually disqualified for them even counting for good because you didn't do them by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the thing. People think that there's some good that they're doing. I, the Pope today, God bless him, I hope he comes to Jesus. The Pope today said, today, he said, oh, if an atheist does good things, I'm sure he'll end up in heaven. Today, said that. In the news, today. And I'm teaching on this right now. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I told my wife while I was driving, I was like, some people don't get it. I don't think that's the exact words I said, but it's something else. Anyway, the good work, if, it, if someone dies in rebellion, they don't think Jesus died from on the cross, it doesn't matter if they were Mother Teresa and did everything good, all their good works are disqualified. Disqualified. Because they were not done in faith. God only accepts faith. That's it. And I didn't make the rules. He did. We can't change the rules of the game. That's the rules. Faith is what God pleases God. 
And he says it over and over and over again through the whole Bible. Abraham was justified by faith. All these guys, in the, just read Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to see. All the guys in the Old Testament, the guys in the New Testament, it's all by faith. That's what pleases God. Just trusting him. So, back in Galatians. Verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. For God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter, for he who works effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also works effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and to the circumcised, and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. See, Paul wasn't, he didn't wait for someone else to make him a great Christian. He knew that it came down to a personal relationship between himself and Jesus. And that isn't to say that Paul didn't receive anything from others or they didn't, he didn't listen to them or that no one could ever bless him, but his Christian life was not built upon what other people did for him. He's saying, you know, Peter and these guys, you know, maybe they're pillars, I don't know, it doesn't matter to me. Why doesn't that matter to you? Are you trying to diss them or something? Are you trying? No, he wasn't. He's, he's, they're, they're great. They have a, a different ministry than me. They're great. But it doesn't matter to me because who I am comes directly from God. And I'm, I'm okay with that. He wasn't waiting for, for Peter to say, now you can be a great Christian. And I think in my life personally, I had to really come to this where I stopped waiting for people to tell me yeah, you can be a pastor or you can, you can serve the Lord with all your heart where you're at. I had to stop waiting for that and I had to just start becoming a man of God in the place I was, even though I didn't like the place I was. I had to become a man of God. And that was a big change in my life. And I think that um, for Paul here, he, he just had that his whole life. So he mentions favoritism there and he says, it doesn't exist with God. All men are equal under grace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You know, there's not people who are closer or further away from getting, being able to get God's grace. We're all there. And I think sometimes we look at people and we look at like Billy Graham and we're like, man, God must really love him. Or, or we look at this person over here and be like, I don't know how they're ever going to come to the Lord. And God's, God, God has fully given access to every person equally. You know, that's, that's what his grace purchases. And so I just think that, um, you know, we don't have to be intimidated by how close someone else is to the Lord. I mean, we look at our own pastor. We're like, he's, he's awesome. You know, it'd be, it'd be great if I could handle a trial like he's handling it. You know, and, and that's, that would be, we think that that's something that's unattainable for us. When in, in fact, all he's doing is keeping his eyes on Jesus. And, and that's how he's being an example. And, and all of us have that exact same access, that exact same opportunity. He says here that they added nothing to him. They added nothing. You know, they agreed with him. You guys need to be quiet over here who are trying to make trouble. And Paul, we're adding nothing to you because 
How can you add anything to the work that God does in someone by grace? How can you even add to it? His work is complete and sufficient. We don't need to add to it. And this, this is big when it comes to different philosophies of how a Christian grows. You know, oh yeah, you need grace, but you also really need to understand some psychological principles of something or other. And that's really important for you. And I just, I trust the grace of God. I don't think we need all that other stuff. I think God can take care of it. It says it works effectively when he, or Jesus, is working through both of them, Paul and Peter, neither one of them was working through their own efforts, but it was grace. And he does the works through them. It's not useless or worthless at all. It actually works. Grace actually works. What did we say at the beginning was worthless? Circumcision. Legalism. This thing that is irrelevant and does not work these, these works that don't work. Works that don't work. There's one work that does work. Grace. The work of Jesus on the cross is functional. It works. Where our works don't work. So grace sends them out. Peter goes to the Jews. Paul goes to the Gentiles. We go to someone. Someone is waiting to hear the good news of the gospel. And when are we going to go? I love that each one of these guys had a plan. A people they were sent to or a mission. You know, and when they left, they didn't have a knife in their hand. <laughs> they didn't have a knife in their hand stabbing each other in the back. Or they didn't have this knife of legalistic work still trying to cut off parts of their body everywhere. That's not how they left. They left with what? hand open the the right hand of fellowship it says they gave to each other they were backing each other up they were they were with each other and they they were loving each other and they were freed from all this bondage all this bloody and and brutal legalism so you might have thought the previous four weeks we came down hard on legalism what about tonight (laughs) i've been as as clear as, as I believe the scripture allows me to be on how awful, terrible legalism is. It's terrible. Because it deceives. And I think people go to hell because they are deceived by legalism. And I just hope that's none of us in here tonight. You know? We sing about Jesus, but why are you singing? Did you make it a rule for yourself? You need to come to church tonight. Or is it because of the work he did on the cross and you're just looking at that? You know, let, let's let God search our hearts and find out if we're holding a knife or we're holding a hand out. What are you, what are you doing when you're doing this? you got your hands out. You're wanting to receive something, right? Instead of the knife saying, oh, I'm doing something. You're just receiving, which is exactly how God describes grace. So I'll just pour out grace on the humble person. I'm going to read my favorite verse to you. It's Isaiah 
It says, For thus says the High and Lofty One who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. All those descriptions are pretty grand of God. I don't think he can be much more descriptive of himself, that he is amazing and he's high and lofty and holy with, he says, but I I dwell up in this high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's the heart of our God. He doesn't want a prideful person saying, look what I cut off for you. He wants a person saying, please give me your blood. Please give me your works. And the Holy Spirit comes in, does the circumcision work in our heart, and we then are changed from the inside. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, Lord, your, your work that you did for us on the cross is so powerful. Lord, we can't even begin to um, approach that kind of uh, holiness or or, uh, wonderfulness without just being broken and becoming humble and contrite in our heart and in our spirit. God, when we raise our hands, please let us be begging for your grace in our life and your Holy Spirit. God, bring freedom and liberty. Let us stand fast in the freedom for which we've been made free. God, let us just trust your work that you're, you're doing inside us. In your name we pray. Amen.